Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. While it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. This is the third time in this chapter that He's saying this. Do not harden your hearts. And as we covered last time, He's telling us, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. So what hardens our heart is not something outside of our lives, something extrinsic to us. It is within our own lives. That's what hardened our hearts. He would not tell us not to harden our hearts if we didn't have the capability to harden our own hearts. It is within us to harden our hearts. And he's warning us not to harden our hearts. And we covered these, these points last, last week. And these are the ones that I said are the characteristics of a heart that is becoming hardened. You start off with lethargy meaning you lose spiritual energy. You're losing spiritual energy. And then that goes, that turns into cynicism. Cynicism is, is uh, uh, a lack of trust or doubting everything or thinking that everybody is against us, that everybody else is wrong and I'm right. I used to have a pastor, he would say, if, uh, if, um, if everybody else is wrong and you're right, guess what the reality is. And so, so this, this lethargy leads to cynicism and then a real negativity. So we become negative about everything. Oh, every, life is bad. Everything is bad. My car is bad. My work is bad. My parents are bad. My spouse is bad. Everything in my life is bad. This is the progression of a hardened heart. And we've all experienced this type of thing in our lives. Nobody, none of us is immune to this sort of thing happening. If that continues, you go into a contesting where you'll contest with people about the faith. Where even as a believer, we'll start contesting with people about the faith and trying to discourage them so they will commiserate with us rather than rejoicing in the Lord. And that leads to unbelief and a falling away. In this chapter, he speaks of the, the, the uh, uh, taking, taking care that we don't fall away. In verse 12 of Hebrews 3, Take care, brethren. In other words, take care, be careful, brethren, meaning brothers, those who are in Christ, that there not be in any one of you an evil, he calls it evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So when you've hit that unbelief, that unbelieving heart, it's easy to fall away. The progression to recovery is this, is that you repent, it is a turning, a recognition that this is in my life, and it, repentance, turning from that. And then there is, there is fellowship. And he speaks in this chapter about the need for fellowship. Because in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 3, he says, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So there's this need to encourage one another, this fellowship. Don't leave fellowship. Don't think that you can just take off from church to four, for four weeks and it'll all get better. It'll only get worse. Then, he, then it, it's scripture meditation. Learning to take the word of God and place it in your life. Have the scriptures speak to you. A daily meditation on the word of God. And then often even a fasting and prayer. A season of fasting and prayer. That means you don't eat. You just drink water. You will not die. If you die, let me know. And then I'll correct myself. But you will not die. You, you go and you, you, you spend some time not eating, skipping meals and saying, Lord, speak into my life. 
fasting and prayer. And that is a great way to get yourself out of the, this pattern that brings you into to, uh, a hardened heart. So he says in verse 15 of Hebrews 3, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So remember what's happening in the book of Hebrews. You have a group of Christian believers who are Jews, Jewish Christian believers, Jewish believers who believe in Jesus as the Messiah, surrounding Jerusalem in Judea. They are not, they did not live in Jerusalem. Because of the persecutions of the times, they are thinking of going back into Judaism so that they could escape this persecution and thinking that they could then come back out of Judaism into Christ when the persecution subsides. But he's warning them, if you do this, you're going to get trapped in that city of Jerusalem it, uh, uh, during, that, during the judgment that's going to come, that's soon going to come. And he speaks of the 40-year period that's soon going to come in 70 A.D. Remember, this is in 66 to 68 A.D. that this book is written. And you're going to experience physical death. It is not a loss of salvation. It is physical death. Then he, he goes on in verse 16. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So he warns them. He says, who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? If you think, or if I think that we can escape this, we are grossly deceived. He's telling them, if you think just because you are children of Abraham, just because Moses led the children of Israel out, that you're going to be protected from this. In, in the last chapter, the end of Hebrews chapter 2, he had encouraged them with this. He said in, in verse, uh, verse 16 of Hebrews 2.16, he says, For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. He is saying, you are Jewish people and God will help you. He encouraged them in their Jewishness. But now he's telling them at the end of Hebrews chapter 3, just because you're Jewish doesn't protect you from this thing. And not only are you, you, not only are you descendants of Abraham... You are believers in the Messiah, in Jesus, as are many of us here. We are not exempt from this. If we have a hardened heart, it will lead to real problems in our lives. This is what he's warning them about. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. In the context of this happening, people falling in the wilderness, he then writes this in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if we... It, fear, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. He says, therefore, in other words, because of what I just said, these people falling in the wilderness, because of their unbelief, because of their hardened heart and their unbelief, because of their falling in the wilderness, let us fear. This is what he's telling them. So he said, this happened with, Abra with Moses in the wilderness. So a thousand years prior to this, he's saying, this happened to them in the wilderness, let us fear. 
The same thing he's speaking to us today, as believers today, let us fear. Therefore, let us fear, while a promise remains of entering his rest. So there's a promise on the table of entering his rest. There are some promises that we receive as believers, just there's some promises we receive just as being human beings, just by being alive. In other words, he grants us air to breathe. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, he grants you air to breathe. He gives you eyes, he gives you a nose, he gives you things just by being a human being. God has blessed us with this. There are other things we get just by being a believer. You believe in Jesus, that he's the son of God and he's risen from the dead. You get salvation. This is a gift that he gives you just by believing. But there are many promises which are contingent upon acts of obedience. Many promises. In fact, I would say most promises in the word of God are always contingent upon an act of obedience, not salvation. That is not earned. That is a free gift upon believing. But there are many, many uh, uh, blessings that come that are contingent upon obedience. That the promises that there are for blessings that will come in our life if we go into daily meditation on the scriptures. Again, no promise for three days a week, no promise for four days a week, promise for daily meditation on the scripture. Joshua 1 8, Psalm 1, Psalm 112, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 119, Psalm, Psalm 119 verse, verses uh, 97 through 100. Again and again, promises that come that are contingent upon meditating on the Word of God. He says, while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. In other words, a promise has been given. But we can come short of that promise. It is like money is left on the table and we walked away from it. You want to make a deal. You never want to leave something on the table. Maybe somebody's prepared to pay $2 million for your house and you sell it for a million dollars. Well, you left a million dollars on the table. That's what we're talking about. He says there is a promise remains of entering his rest. And what he's speaking about now, he's going to speak about Rest in the past, he's going to speak about rest in the future. Rest in the past for the believer is salvation. You've entered salvation rest. For in the future, it's of heaven. This rest that he's talking about in the present is spiritual maturity. It is a spiritual maturity that you will see in people who are mature in faith. I'll give you an example, and I can give it because many of you know them, but they're not here today. So, so Chuck and Barbara Lloyd. If you take that couple... That couple has walked in faith their entire lives, served the Lord. Chuck, uh, who, who, who oversees the Navigators Campus Ministry here in town, Chuck became Chuck joined the Navy. He joined the Navy because he he is an architect by training, but he was sharing in Bible study with guys who were in the Navy. They had to get shipped out. So you know what he did? He joined the Navy. Yes. This is like, just so that he could continue to minister to these people, he joined the Navy. Joined the chaplaincy in the Navy. That's what Chuck did. I mean, that's a big sacrifice, isn't it? You know, most people, they, they, they got to leave town. You're like, okay, see you later. I'll just sit here and keep teaching the Bible. More will come. I mean, Chuck, Chuck's like, like these men of old that you've heard about that have sold themselves into slavery just so that they could minister to slaves. This is practically what Chuck did. 
And Barbara just raised these kids while Chuck was in the Navy. Hard to be married to someone in the Navy because they're always out in a ship someplace. And they raised their children. And now you look at them in these latter days of their life and they're getting the normal ailments that hit people in this stage of life. Barbara has been through bouts of, of breast cancer and pneumonia. She couldn't talk. I mean, something happened to her throat because of surgery that had gone on. Chuck's experienced cancer and and uh, a prostate cancer and other sicknesses all in the last three or four years. And you still see them all the time serving and rejoicing. You're like, this didn't even knock you down? I mean, you're still coming? I mean, Chuck meets me every week for prayer meeting on campus. And he drives a long way to get to campus to meet me at 7.30 in the mornings on Tuesday mornings to pray with me. And so he's there. I mean, it's a faculty staff prayer meeting and there's like two faculty and no staff and, and, and uh, uh, Rin Bowers and Chuck and Mike when he's in town. I mean, so, so this is a great commitment. This is what I'm talking about. This is what it's talking about. It's the believer's rest. The rest that comes by spiritual maturity, that come what may in your life, it's the believer's rest. You look at these old believers who have walked their lives with God, and then all these things come at them, and it's like it just can't keep them down. They just keep on rejoicing and keep on serving. This is what they're talking about. The present rest is the rest for believers. And he says, you leave that promise on the table. You walk away without that promise when you do not believe. And it's a fearful thing to walk away from that promise of the rest of the believer. The rest that the believer can have. He says in verse 2, For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Two people. One accepts the word of God, believes it, and walks in it. The other hears the same word, but doesn't believe it and walks away frustrated and goes their own way. I am telling you that life of the person who believes it is going to be far greater and far grander because they will begin to experience the rest that comes to the life of the mature believer. This is what he's talking about. We leave that gift on the table when we walk in unbelief, when we take the word of God and fail to believe it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We take that word of faith. Uh, um, in Hebrews chapter 11, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. So the same book, chapter 11. And you see what he says about this. What he says about faith. And we're reading from verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. When we come to God, we must believe that he is. So believing in God in itself is not enough. That's the first part. We must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who serve him. If we serve him, he will reward us. That is the next step that very often believers never get. They never get it. That if you serve him, he will reward you. And I've seen it in the lives of many people. That he is the rewarder of those who serve him, those who seek him. You seek him, he will reward you. There is great reward for seeking God. There is great reward in seeking God. 
You seek him, he will reward you. You seek God, there is great reward there. This is what he's talking about. The rest of the believer, the rest that the believer can participate in. You have two lives and I can look at the lives of young people. I've been a professor for 30 years and before that I was, I was uh, um, let's see, 10 years in college. All right, I was 10 years in college. I mean, for the whole thing. You know, to go from high school to being a professor was 10 years. So, so I've been a professor for 30 years and another 10 in the college community. So 40 years. I'll tell you what I've seen. All these data points is that people who seek and serve God are highly blessed in their lives. They generally find very good spouses and they have happy lives. People who don't, their lives get destroyed and they get beat up very quickly. That is the general trend that occurs. This is the rest that comes on the life of the believer. This is what he's saying. If you walk in unbelief, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. He is speaking to them, referring to something that happened a thousand years before them. We are applying the exact same thing, what he's speaking to them, two thousand years after this was preached to them. This is what he's saying. We've had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. You can hear the word of God, but if you do not unite it by faith and say, you know, if I seek God, he will reward me, the scriptures say. If I seek him, he will reward me. You know, sometimes my colleagues will say to me, why do you spend so much time doing this thing with these students, teaching the Bible and doing all this stuff? You open up your home and have all these people. Why why do you do this? See, don't you understand? I'm building my career. Don't you understand? Don't you understand why God has blessed my career so much? It's because I'm giving out to others. He blesses my career. He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Yes, it is seeing the power of God in the lives of young people, and that is wonderful. But it's also building my career. When you take that which is, that which you could easily keep for yourself, your time, your assets, the things of your life, and you donate it to others, you will be greatly blessed. He will bless your career. You want to become a successful surgeon? Give of yourself in service to the Lord and watch Him bless your surgery career. You want to become a successful engineer and move up the ranks in a company? Give of your life in serving the Lord and your life as an engineer will be blessed. This is what He says. He will bless those. He will reward those who seek Him. He has not deceived us. He will reward those who seek Him. This is what the Scriptures say. Where I am, Jesus says, Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. In John chapter 12. Jesus says, Whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. That means God of heaven and earth, in order to keep a promise that His Son has proclaimed, if we serve His Son, The God of heaven and earth will honor us. He honors us with the rest that comes to the mature believer. He also honors us in our work. You want to be promoted at work? Give of yourself to serve. When you take your time 
to pour over the scriptures to, and seek the Lord, to pray for a Bible study that you have to teach. That is not lost time. You think, oh, I, I could have been studying. Yeah, you could have been. But that's not lost time. I'm all for spending lots of time studying. I am. I spent a lot of time studying in my life. But there is an asset that is gained by devoting a portion of your time, a portion of what you have to the Lord's work. And then He will bless and multiply you richly over and over and over again. He will bless and multiply you richly if you seek Him. This is what He's talking about. In verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 4, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as He said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So again, He's quoting from Psalm 95. And so Psalm 95 is the summary of what happened at Kadesh Barnea. Or you can go back to the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter, chapter, I'm sorry, in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 is the original quote of this. And then it's quoted again in, in uh, Psalm 95, which this writer is quoting. And he quotes it again for us. So he says, For we who have believed enter that rest. If we will believe what God has said, we can enter that rest. And that rest is a treasure. It is a treasure for the life of the believer to be able to enter into his rest. That is a treasure to have. When I grow older, I want to be like Chuck and Barbara. So that when the things of life start hitting me, just constantly praying and serving the Lord. When I walk into the chapel at 7.30 in the morning on Tuesday mornings, it used to, let, it used to be on, on Thursdays, but now we've moved it to Tuesday mornings. When I walk into that chapel, Chuck is still there with a stack of cards. And not playing cards, not magic cards, but a stack of cards which are verses from the Bible. He's memorizing verses still. That's the old navigator stack of cards. No navigators do that anymore. They have it all on their smartphone. But he's using the old stack of cards. Back like when I was in the navigators as a student we used to use. Back before there were smartphones and cell phones and all of this. He used little cards. He's doing it at his age. He's still memorizing scripture verses. This is the life of the believer. You can enter into this rest. And then he says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In other words, if we walk in unbelief, we leave that blessing on the table and we walk away. And the blessing is left there. Sometimes I talk to students and I've told you this. I talk to students and they just will not believe. They will not believe that God means good in their lives. And when they finally walk away, I'll say, Lord, don't let it go to waste. Whatever they could have had, I'll take it. Give it to me. Give it to me. I'll take it. Why leave it on the table? I mean, it's a great blessing of God. He doesn't want it to rot there on the table. Give it to me. I'll take it. He says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. In other words, the gift is already there. His work was finished from the foundation of the world. It's sitting right there on the table. It's already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Are you going to appropriate it? And he says, for he said somewhere concerning the seventh day. I love this. Look at how the writer quotes scripture. He said somewhere concerning the seventh day. You think the writer doesn't know that this came from the book of Genesis that he's about to quote? And God rested on the seventh day from his work, from all his work. That's Genesis 2.2. 2. 
I mean, it's, it's really great. So if you ever can't remember exactly where a scripture passage is, fear not. Even the writer of scripture says right here, he said somewhere concerning the seventh day. Don't you wish, don't you think that he's in heaven like, I wish I would have just put the verse. I mean, it makes me look bad. <laughs> For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day. And God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There it is again. He repeats it again and again and again. He repeats it. You want to teach the scriptures? Let me give you a secret in teaching the scriptures. You take the scriptures and you read the scriptures and you speak about it again and again. The congregation loves the scriptures. They love the word of God. You take the word of God and you speak about it again and again because you don't get it at first. You got to read these things over and over again and then new things jump out at you. He says, today... In verse 7, he again fixes a certain day. Today, look at this. So three times in the last chapter, he says today. And now he's again saying it today. You see how he brings it right to the present. The life of the believer is in the present. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Bring it to the present. It's today. Saying through David. In the last chapter, he says, he says, he said of the same verse. He said of, of the same text, he says, as spoken by the Holy Spirit. And now he says, as saying through David. So you see the union of the authorship of the Bible. That yes, it was the Holy Spirit from chapter 3 of Hebrews. But it was penned by David and he, there's this co-authorship he speaks about. Today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said, because David wrote Psalm 95 and David was quoting from the Numbers passage from something that had happened a thousand years before David. Saying through David after so... or or, or 500 years before David. Saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, he's warning us about falling into this, this hardening of hearts that comes from lethargy, this spiritual tiredness. Like, oh, I just, I, I just don't want to pick up the Bible anymore. I don't feel like going to church. That's the first sign. That's the first sign of a hardened heart, of a heart that's beginning to harden. Catch it. Catch it by repentance, lethargy. And then it's going to turn into cynicism where you start doubting all things. Like, church, I mean, I mean, church doesn't really do anything. I mean, I can just watch it on TV. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You start making all these things. And there's all this negativity that's going to move in before you know it. You're going to start hating your work. You're going to hate your friends. And they're going to hate you back. And, 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 uh, and, and all of this is, is going to start happening in your life. And you go right down this, this, this spiral. Right down the drain into an in, into a, 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 a unbelieving heart that's going to fall away. He says he warns us about this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not leave this blessing on the table that is there for you. This is the blessing that he has for you. The blessing in the life of Christ. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank you so much for your word.
Thank you, Lord, for the goodness of your word. And Lord, I pray for these young people that you would get a hold of their hearts. Get a hold of their hearts that they would not harden. And Father, if there be hearts that are beginning to harden here today, or that have already become hardened, Father, I pray that you would stir them and awake them to repent, to be in fellowship, to meditate daily upon your word. Father, that they would take up these practices. Father, I pray that they would turn their lives around. Father, that you would protect them and protect their lives so that they could come back into fellowship and come back under your wing. Lord, protect their lives, I pray, that today they would not let this go past today, that today, as they've heard your voice, that they would not harden their hearts. But Lord, turn them to you, I pray. Lord, turn them to you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for these here who do not know you. Father, for many here, this is all new to them. These words are just going right through them and they're wondering what I'm talking about. What are the scriptures saying? Father, I pray that you would draw them into a place where they could take hold of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is Lord of heaven and earth, and that he's risen from the dead. This simple truth that Jesus is Lord and he's risen from the dead. Father, I pray that one of them would get saved today, at least one of them this day, even over the lunch that we'll have together. Father, I pray that you'd bring them to salvation this day. Save their souls, O oh Lord God, I pray. Save their souls, for conversion is our aim, to see them come into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Draw them to Jesus, I pray. And Lord, I commit these young people to you. May the grace of God fill them. <coughs> Father, I pray that they would not walk in unbelief, but as they've heard this word, that they would walk in it by faith, and so be able to enter the rest of the mature believer. In the name of Jesus, amen.